It's awesome. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, either on your phone or, or in, in the flesh, or I don't know what you call it, in the flesh, the real written word, what, whatever you use, I, I want to ask you to open to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. We have been in this series about the glorious church, um, and, and every week I, I look at another part of this, and I, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed that, uh, about the church and the way God designed it and what He wants for us. Uh, and it is truly a glorious church. And so we're going to take one more step in this. Um, now, you, you may say with my choice, oh, I left a section out. Yeah, we did, we're not going to cover the first part of this chapter. Um, I, I might have taken me, you know, two more months if we covered every last verse of this. But we're going to pick up down in, the, in verse 17 when we start in this. Um, basically, this morning, the title of my message is We Must. We must. Now, if someone tells you, you must do something, what does that mean? I better do it. If you tell your child, you must clean your room, what, what's expected? That the room gets clean. I believe that, that the scriptures tell us that there are certain things we need to do to function effectively. In life, in life, there are some things we must do, right? We must take a bath regularly if we want friends. If you don't, you'd be wondering, well, why don't they like me? Uh, That could be the problem. We must demonstrate love to our spouses if we desire to stay married. If you don't demonstrate love, you're going to have problems. We must let the dog out if we don't want messes in the house, right? We must. There's just certain things that we must do. We must pay the rent if you want to stay in your home. You've got to pay that monthly fee. We must pay the light bill if we want to keep our lights on and our electricity hooked up. We must discipline our children if we want them to grow up with respect. We must eat if we want to stay alive. And some of us must eat less if we want to stay alive. I'm, I'm talking about me. There are always things that we must do. And that carries over into our spiritual lives as well. There are some things that we must do. Um, Now, God's not up there, got a checklist and saying, oh, well, you didn't do that. But these are things that we would say, no, if you want to live your Christian life to the full, you need to do these things. Not as a requirement of checking off a list, but as... uh, as, as us being uh, the best we can be for God. Uh, Here's the reality. We must accept Jesus as our Savior if we want to go to heaven someday. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. So if we want to go to heaven, we have to choose Him as our Lord and Savior. We must be obedient to Him in all ways if we wish to validate our faith. James says, faith without works is what? It's dead. And so if we, don't, if we don't demonstrate through our faith, validate our faith, then uh, is it really faith? We must love one another if we truly want to enjoy life. Uh, do you know someone who goes through life and, and everybody is their enemy? It's a, it's a, it's a rough life. It's a hard thing. And, and you look at them and say, man, they're just not happy. They just don't love people. They don't care about people. 
Paul gives us some similar items in our text this morning that we need to work on. If we'll be honest with ourselves, we have to admit and realize Christianity makes some moral demands on our lives. They're not hard, fast rules that you have to do this or you're out, but Christianity does make moral demands on our life, doesn't it? And I don't, think the, uh, the, I don't think anyone would ever apologize for that. The gospel definitely doesn't. In our text, we're going to see as we read this that he kind of mentioned these things as don't. I want to switch them to a positive. He says, don't be this, don't be this, don't do this. I want to I approach it from the positive side. And I'm going to say, we must do these things. We must do these things. For every don't there is a do so we come to our text this morning the first thing he says we need to do is think right we need to think right um it's it's easy for us to say that that's not difficult to uh to say is true we look at people and say well why are you doing you're thinking wrong you're 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 thinking wrong and so if you don't think right you're not gonna act right now i'm getting ahead of myself because that's one of the next points I want to make is act right. But we need to think right. Let's look at our text. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, I'm going to read through verse 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have learned about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." We need to think right. Psychologists tell us that, that a normal human has over 10,000 thoughts in one day. Guys, probably about half that. Um, I, I saw a funny meme on Facebook just this last week. There, the, the woman thinks, I wonder if he's thinking about this. And in fact, says the guy, no, I wasn't thinking at all, you know. And... and uh, but we have over 10,000 thoughts. Sometimes uh, the guy's thoughts are just like, why didn't the car start? But the women think differently. Can I get an amen? Women think differently than men do. And, and they think, well, why is he so quiet? Well, he's just trying to figure out what's wrong with the car. That's all. Um, we have 10,000 thoughts go through our head. And when you think about it, a thought just takes a... a portion of a second sometimes like you know pops in and out that's three million six hundred fifty thousand thoughts in a year i'm tired just listening to that um i i feel worn out i may have to sit down the scripture tells us we have to give an account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth well where do the words come from usually from our thoughts i know if if I'm upset with my wife and I'm thinking, about, oh, she is, and then all of a sudden out slips something, <laughs> I say something, those idle words come from my idle thoughts. We need to be careful how we think and think right. Well, what, is, what does it mean to think right? 
Well, he says in our text, don't think like the godless. He says the godless people, they walk in the futility of their mind. You ever know anybody like that? They think they've got it all, and, and it's like, okay, here's another trip down his way of thinking. And, and some people just, their mind doesn't think logically compared to what we do. And so sometimes guys think that about their wives. She's not thinking logically uh, because we think differently. He says, don't think like the godless people do. They walk in the futility of their mind and they seek self-satisfaction. When there's someone who, who, who's that way, all they're looking for is self-satisfaction. It, it, it's evident in the way they uh, talk and speak and live. And that comes from that wrong way of thinking. They seek power and riches, which is nothing more than humanism. Uh, if, if someone is thinking that way, if you sit around and all day long, all you do is dream about what, what and, and honestly, every one of us have occasion, have gone this way. If I could just win the lottery, what would I do? I would build this house. I would buy that car. I'd buy that car for you. And if you, that's futile thinking. Guess what? The reality is none of us here are going to win the lottery. It's just probably not going to happen. The odds are millions to one. But if you spend all of your time thinking that way, when you get to the end of that, what have you accomplished? Nothing. Because it's futile thinking. You've wasted those thoughts. And he says that they uh, indulge in sensuality. Now, sensuality, uh, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of sensuality. My, my mind auto- automatically thinks towards sexual sin. But sensuality, and in this particular uh, instance, he kind of refers to that. But sensuality is gratifying of the, our senses or indulging in an appetite. He makes reference to it as being something that is sexual but that's when someone is not thinking right what they do is they gravitate towards satisfying themselves whatever their desire is whatever that hunger that's for whether it be a hunger for pornography whether it be a hunger for fame whether it be a hunger for riches whether it be a hunger for whatever it is that thinking that sensuality leads us farther from Christ and his glorious church than what we would do if we would think right. And so we need to think right, not as the godless. Then he goes on and says, think not as the hard-hearted. Every time I think about hard-hearted, we, we just were almost to get to the, the point in, in Sunday school where we talk about, and God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. What happened was, when we get hard-hearted, it's like we remove the possibility for right choices. God said, I'm going to do bad things to them. It's not going to be good. And he says, but I'm not going to let him out of it. I'm going to harden his heart so that he won't make the right decision. Have you ever been to the point where you said, I know the right decision, but doggone it, I'm mad, and I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. That's hard-hearted. Where, where you, don't, you don't make the right choices because you have set up the wall. This is where I stand. I'm not going to let you do this to me. I'm not going to let you do that to me. I'm hard-hearted. And he says, that's thinking wrong. Don't think like that. Don't think like the hard-hearted. He said, as a result, 
these people are excluded from the life of God. So if that's your choice to think hard-hearted, you exclude yourself. It's not that someone's up here saying, oh, no, no, I didn't do it. No, you do it to yourself. You exclude yourself from the life of God because that's not who God is. That's not what he's about. He's about uh, love, grace, mercy. He's about that, and he's about uh, us living out to the fullness of what he's gotten for us. So um, when when you talk with someone who's hard-hearted, and probably each of us have had a conversation with someone who's that way. Um, I remember having a, a conversation with someone in a church that I served once, and um, it was it was the church treasurer, and she was living with one of the deacons. They weren't married. They were hard-hearted about that relationship. They didn't see anything wrong because, and they had all these excuses. So when you go to talk to them and say, "Listen, this is this is not right," you know, you guys are part of the church and part of the leadership, and we're trusting you to. And there was just a hard-heartedness, and they refused to change. As far as I know, they're still living with each other. Because they didn't want, and it kind of went back to some of the other things we talked about, their sensuality, their longing for what they wanted. See, they said their excuse was, well, if we got, a divo- if we got married, um, I would lose my income. And so I, I have to stay single so that I still get my income because then we wouldn't have enough to do everything we want to do. So there's hard-heartedness. You've been around people that are that way. They've just become calloused. They're hard-hearted. They're, they're uncaring. <clears throat> they're unsympathetic. They don't care who they hurt. They don't care about any of that. That's a condition of hard-heartedness. So Paul is saying, listen, as we uh, navigate... <clears throat> As Christians in my church, he's saying, we need to not think like that. We need to not think like the hard-hearted. And then he goes on and says, we need to think not as the ignorant. I remember when I was a kid, that used to be fighting words. You're ignorant. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not. And, and then until I realized that ignorant means I just don't know that yet. Ignorance is I don't know. And I, I don't. Uh, I don't know better, and so it, it's, not a, it's not a negative thing and a bad thing. But ignorance is not knowing better. The problem is we as Christians usually know better, but we still think like we're ignorant. We know better than to just blatantly live out the sin that we choose, whatever it may be, except we just choose to do it anyway. That's living and thinking ignorant. And so God, Paul's saying, I don't want you to think like that. I want you to think right. In Philippians 4.8, uh, let me just re- jump over there real quick. I didn't put it on the screen. In verse 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers, this is how I want you to think. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on those things. He wants us to think right. Well, that comes to the second part of this. We need to talk right. We need to talk right. And this is verses 25 to 29. Let's read, and it'll be on the screen. Verses 25 to 29. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion and it may give grace to those who hear. He's telling us we need to think right. Remember when you were a kid and someone would call you a name and you'd say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the, the, the biggest lie on the face of the planet. We know after years of enlightenment, that is just not true. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will break your spirit. And if we don't talk right, we run the risk of injuring and wounding sometimes beyond repair. When fathers speak to their children and, and berate them and belittle them, that's not something that's easily overcome. When husbands speak to their wives as if they don't matter, that's not easily overcome. So we as believers, we need to talk right. And he starts down the list and, and says that there's different kind of words. The first one he mentioned is no lying words. No lying words. Now, I have to tell you a story. Some of you might be country enough to remember this guy. Some of you might not be old enough. There was an old Christian guy by the name of Jerry Clower from Yazoo City, Mississippi. How many? Raise your hand if you heard of Jerry Clower. All right. You're fixing to hear a Jerry Clower story. I remember as a kid, one of the few things that I remember being fun at our house, which when, when you... You hear this, you're like, wow, your house is pretty boring. Um, one year for Christmas, we got a Jerry Clower record, okay? Back when they still made the records. And our whole family would go in mom's and dad's bedroom where the record player was, and we would just sit on the floor and listen to Jerry Clower. I fell in love with Jerry Clower. I still, whoo-wee. Um, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Um, Jerry Clower was just a redneck guy from the backwoods of Mississippi. And he, but he was a Christian and he told stories for a living. He tells a story about New Gene Ledbetter. Now, if you've listened to Jerry Clower, you know about the Ledbetters. The Ledbetters were the, they went back and forth all the time. But New Gene, he was a liar. And New Gene had a problem lying. And uh, uh, he'd just lie every chance he got. And people, they started talking and said, we got we to gotta break this guy of lying. And so he said, I've got an idea. I'm going to get New Gene aside, and I'm going to tell him the biggest lie I can think of. And he's going to realize how ridiculous that is. And he's going to see the error of his ways, and he's going to quit lying. So he called New Gene aside and said, New Gene, I've got to tell you what happened at church last week said we was in the middle of service and lo and behold the back door of the church burst open and a big old grizzly bear ran right down in front of the communion table and he said it hot on his heels was this little bitty chihuahua dog chasing that grizzly bear brought him right up in front and they've commenced to fighting and do you know that dog whipped that grizzly bear and consumed him he says heck yeah that's my dog <laughs> he didn't get the message but isn't it true sometimes that it's so easy for us to just lie instead of fess up to the truth? How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. How many of you told, how many of you 
will be honest to say, you've told that lie. Sometimes it's so much easier to tell the lie because if we tell the truth, we have to reveal maybe something beyond what's comfortable. He says, I don't want lying words coming out of your mouth. He says, here's why to speak the truth. We're members of one another. It's not like this is somebody that doesn't care. He calls us a body. Maybe you're the toe, maybe you're the foot, maybe you're the hand, but we're all one body. And so when we lie to someone in our family, we're lying to ourselves. And he says, don't do that to the people you care about. Don't lie. It's not right to deceive part of yourself. A lot of times we try to deceive ourselves, don't we? Now, I'm not pointing your fingers, but this donut won't really hurt me. I got a kick out of Patty. She said, I got a donut and it was hollow. I'm like, that meant since the diet is only half the calories if half the donut's gone. As a diabetic, I've told that lie to myself. My wife's back there. Way more times than I should. One donut won't hurt me. One drink won't hurt me. Now, I'm not, I'm not going gonna to stand up here and say that I, that I believe if you take a drink, that, that's wrong. The Bible's specific about that. But sometimes for someone who has alcoholic tendencies, one drink may hurt me and may hurt you. And so you, you can't lie to yourself. We, we do it. If I watch someone exercise, that's just as good, right? <laughs> I mean, if you don't, no, don't raise your hand on that one. But so many times we look at ourselves in the mirror with our eyes squinted. My dad used to have a saying, well, if you stand across the street and squint your eyes, that looks really good. And sometimes that's the way we look at ourselves in the mirror, isn't it? We squint. Yeah, I don't see any problems. The reality, we need to look with our eyes wide open. And he says, don't lie. So as a follower of Jesus in the church that he set up, he said, I, I don't want lying words to be a part of it. He goes on and says, no angry words. It doesn't actually say angry words, but let me look, read what it says in verse 26. Be angry and don't sin. So there's a difference between being angry and don't sin and being angry, isn't there? Usually when the anger comes out in words, we've crossed the threshold. Usually. Not always. So we have to be careful with our angry words. Once again, don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever been angry at your spouse or your child? And that resulted in angry words. Happens. Hold down the comments. We don't want anybody getting hit. Anger can be sin. There, the Bible talks about a righteous anger. When, when we're angry at something that angers God, that's justifiable. It's okay to be angry that millions of babies are being killed every year. That's, that's anger's God as well. It's okay to be... But if you're just mad that the, the neighbor threw his grass clippings on your side of the, of the... That's probably not a justifiable anger. That's probably something that will lead you to sin. And you start thinking about it. And then you go back to those thoughts. And you, you're angry and then you start thinking about that dirty rat... He, 
he did that last year twice. And, you know, it's a slippery slope. So he says, don't be angry. Honestly, the old man, count to ten if you're, if you're thinking about getting angry. Or more if it takes that, whatever it takes. Keep down the angry words. Don't speak angry words. And then he says, no unwholesome words. Now, this preaches right at me. Because sometimes, if, if you think you're funny, sometimes you are willing to push the edge of the boundaries to be funny. And sometimes I have been guilty of unwholesome words. And it really was revealed to me when my grandchild repeated something. I'm like, where did... Oh, I said that. Not necessarily that I was swearing or anything, but it was borderline unwholesome and I shouldn't have been saying that. And I found my grandchild repeating me and I realized, oh my gosh, I need to be careful about this. I remember... And I, I kind of developed this. I remember my dad. <clears throat> One of the things that I, I never heard him utter a word that I would consider unwholesome unless it was doggone it. <laughs> he would smash his thumb with a hammer and the worst he would say, doggone it. And I'm like, that's all you got? I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I've heard guys on the job sites smashed it and there's some way more colorful words come out of them than dog on it but i admired that about him he took it seriously that he wasn't going to speak unwholesome words my wife has said to me I, I mean i've i've injured myself more than i even care to admit um I, every time i work i bleed matter of fact my motto is if you don't bleed you haven't worked so I'm always cutting. I've got wounds on the back of my hand. My wife did that. No, she didn't do that. Her chicken coop did that to me. But I hurt myself all the time. But I've kind of developed that mentality that, and she's like, how come you don't ever say anything worse than something, you know? It's like, you, you don't yell, you don't scream. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I guess that rubbed off from my dad or something. But um, when I've smashed my thumb to where, you know, it, it totally, if you've ever swung an old uh, shingling hatchet with the cross hatches and you hit your thumb, you know you've hit your thumb. Um, we need to be careful how we speak. We need to not get in the habit of the unwholesome words. Um, maybe, maybe it's just a, a practice for you that you've just got a repertoire and, and some of these cuss words are just part of who you are and you, you think that's who you are. You need to evaluate that and say, hey, do I need to speak that way? Because God's telling me, I want my people to not use unwholesome words. And we need to be careful about that. We demonstrate who we are by our words. The old adage used to be, you are what you eat, but I'm pretty sure you are how you talk. Um, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they talk. Well, so we're... Uh, um, oh, Luke 6.45 says, Good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the bad man out of the bad brings forth evil. For his mouth speaks what fills his heart. So what's in your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. So you have to ask yourself, every time you speak, you're portraying, this is what I am in my heart. How do you want that to be perceived by someone else? Much less, how do you want that to be perceived by God who loves you and wants nothing but good for you. 
speak what is right. The third thing is we need to act right. I can't remember how many times I've laughed listening to a parent. Will you straighten up and act right? I never knew exactly what that meant. Straighten up and act right. But that's, how many of you mothers have said that to your kids? Straighten up and act right. We've been told that from the time we were little. You'd think we'd get it right, right? And some of, some of our older kids is like, we still want to say, we need to straighten up and act right. Um, Paul is telling us we need to act right. Let's look at verse 30, 30 and 32, 30 through 32 in our text. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we need to act right. We need to be very careful and not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And He's holy. That's why they call him the Holy Spirit. He's holy. So when we act in a way that causes him hurt, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. He has a plan for our life. His desire is that everything uh, in, in the, that list of the, the things that are the fruit of the Spirit, those are the things he longs for us. When we choose not to step into those, when we not allow those things to come forth in our life, we grieve the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to see us holy like Christ is holy. He wants us to come to maturity in Christ. Be careful and not, uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he says, be kind. There is no room for an unkind Christian. There's just no room. Kindness is, should be one of those simple, the simplest things. Once again, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And so if the Spirit is not living in you, we have to say, wait a minute. What's, what's the reason for this? It's just not okay to not be kind. And he says, not only be kind, but be compassionate. This is something that's hard for me. My wife and I have talked about this many times. My personality, no compassion. I, I'm like, this is right, this is wrong. You're on the wrong no, no grace, no mercy. And I admit that I have to struggle with that. And I've had to actually pray for God, please give me compassion because I don't want to seem as if I don't care. Sometimes, you can be honest, sometimes I just don't care. And it's, it's hard for me to just shut that off because of the way I think. I think in really solid black and white. And if you're in the gray somewhere, I'm like, no. Some, I'm just giving you my temptation the reality is, even though that's the way I think, God still says, Kevin, you need to be compassionate. You need to be compassionate. You need to understand the things that people go through. You need to understand what's going on in our world today. And you need to understand where, where your actions may cause people to be hurt. We, I have to pray for this. I don't know about you, but, but maybe that's something that you need to pray about. God, would you give me compassion? Some people just naturally, my wife... She's like compassion for everything. I mean, well, those chickens, they'll be bored in their chicken pen. We need to make them a swing. So I'm like, what? I don't need us. Chickens don't swing. I'm telling you, I saw three of them on the swing at one time. 
her heart naturally goes to anyone who's the underdog, anyone who might be less than. I could say, oh my goodness, did you see how bad that guy did there? And she's like, well, you don't understand. Maybe he's having a bad day. I need that in my life because all I see is stupid. And she says, wait a minute, you need to think. And her heart goes to compassion mode. Some of you are gifted like that. Pray for me because I'm not gifted that way. I think in hard black and white. But despite that, I, I have to say, God says I need to be careful, not grieve the Spirit. I need to be kind and I need to be compassionate. So despite what's natural for us, if God's calling us to that, then you and I both need to step up and say, God, make me that. Make me what you want me to be. As we go through this whole series, we have to understand that if we're going to survive and live in the church as God designed it, He's got some things in mind for us and things that He wants us to do. And this is one of those things. H.G. Wells once said, If there is no God, nothing matters. If there is a God, nothing else matters. There is a God. And He is the God of the universe. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He is the God that redeemed Israel from Egypt. And He is the God that brought Jesus to earth and saved your life. We have a responsibility to live according to what His wishes are for us. That phrase should highlight our need to walk in God's ways. To talk in a fashion that pleases Him and to think on things that honor Him. You've heard people suggested that we need to have a well-rounded personality, but there are three sides to a person's character. And I think we need to have a rounded, well-rounded character. And each part is necessary if we're to be a whole and holy person in the glorious church that God's made. And that's think right, talk right, and act right. That's simple enough you can walk out of here and say, what was... Kevin's sermon about. Think right, talk right, and act right. And if we can do those three things, oh my goodness, we're so far on our way to being what God wants us to be. He will be honored and glorified in all of that. We're going to sing our decision hymn this morning, and, and the time is for you to evaluate. Every week when I preach or anyone who speaks in any way in, in front of you, it's a challenge from God. It's not just, this is not just me and, and a good idea. I couldn't come up with this stuff if God didn't already put it in, in writing. I'm not that smart. But it's an opportunity for you and I both to say, I see myself in that and, and I, maybe I don't measure up. Maybe I have been thinking wrong. Maybe I've been acting wrong. Maybe I've been talking wrong. The challenge for you this morning as we sing our invitation song is you to make a, make a change. The beautiful thing about church every week is there's an opportunity to start over every single time. And the reality is you can start over every day. All you have to do is say, God, I recognize I've been doing this. I need to quit or I need to start doing this and make a change and ask God for forgiveness. Maybe this morning you need to ask God to forgive you for where you've veered away from this 
idea of thinking right, acting right, and talking right. As we sing our invitation hymn, if that's where you're at,